Hello and welcome to Beyond Survival, the new teacher podcast. My name is Jamie Tom. Today is this week's episode of Teacher Talks, which is a 15 minute talk which explores some aspect of classroom practice. And today I'm going to introduce part one of powerful explanations, which will be followed next week by part two. So I'm going to break down the process of giving really powerful, really effective explanations into these two parts. And today, what I'd like to do is break that down into three strategies. So I'm going to talk about the physicality of giving a really powerful explanation, the importance of knowing your content, and then finally, about the curse of knowledge. But one thing I'd like to do first of all is just acknowledge and recognise just how challenging and difficult giving explanations can be. And I think if, particularly when I think back to when I was a, a teacher at the start of my career, I would quite often deliver an explanation to my students. Then I would say, everybody okay with that? And set the kids off to work. But if I had a pound for every time, I was then faced with a sea of hands from young people who had absolutely no idea what they were doing, I would be a very, very wealthy man indeed. And really what's interesting about explanations is it's the art of communication and it's most deceptively simple. And fundamentally what we are trying to do is transfer knowledge from one mind to the other. And the English Dictionary's definition really does add fuel to this idea that explanation is a really simple process. And that definition is, if you give an explanation of something, you give details about it, or describe it so that it can be understood. But I'm sure lots of listeners will resonate with the fact that the classroom confusion that often arises after we've delivered an explanation signposts and shows us that explanation is in fact one of the most complex acts of the classroom. And to secure clarity in the minds of quite often up to 30 different individuals who need something made clear in their minds that was previously unintelligible is really, really difficult. Because each of those 30 individuals will have different skills, will have different prior knowledge, will have different things that they bring into that explanation. And my favourite way of really capturing what I believe to be the complexity of an explanation is the synonym, which is to de- mystify. And it captures the art of explaining really, really well for me, from being confused and unclear to having something opened up with clarity. And I think the really, really expert explainers, explainers rather, sorry, um, have invested hours in honing and improving their ability to explain. And it's a skill and it's a practice, and I think we really have to be deeply conscious of how we are going about giving an explanation. So, I'd like to start with those three strategies I mentioned earlier. Having covered a little bit and recognising and empathising 
with the challenge we face as educators, as teachers, trying to clarify understanding in a classroom. So the first thing that I think is very important is the physicality of an explanation. Last week I talked a lot about how to generate quality listening in a classroom. And bearing all those techniques and tools from last week in, in mind, I think when we begin to deliver an explanation, we preface it with this notion that quality listening is required. So how do we then use our physicality to support that explanation? So if we think of the best explainers we know, the people who we really lean into, really listen to, really absorb what it is that they are saying. So for me, it's kind of people like Barack Obama, it's David Attenborough. And if I focus on those two individuals, one thing they use remarkably powerfully is their voices. And our voices as classroom practitioners, as teachers, are a remarkably underexplored an underutilized skill. So, how can you use your voice to deepen the explanation in the room? First of all, it's about intonation. It's about how you can vary your voice to encourage listening and clarity. And one of the best ways, I think, in, in reflecting on how we use our voices as communicators is to take a little bit of time to record how we speak and how we communicate. And you can do that in a classroom setting. You can just literally put your phone on the table and press record. And listen back to how you come across when you communicate. Does it speak of clarity? Does it add to the layers of meaning that you are trying to encourage the young people to absorb? And is it intentional? Are you using your voice to clarify particular words that you are trying the young people to really hone in on and really, really recall and remember? Are you using your voice to leave space for processing, for thinking? And that's where it comes into using a pause. And as much as possible, letting the young people process what you are trying to say in that explanation. And once you've done that process of reflecting, listening back on your voice, it's about experimenting. And this doesn't require any investment of time, any real energy at all. But it's actually about just varying pitch, tone, pace as we're communicating at the front of the room. And not being afraid to ask the young people who are sitting listening to our voices every single day. Asking them for feedback. How did you find that explanation? How did you find listening to that? Did you, did you understand what it was I was trying to explore? So the voice is a big one in terms of physicality. But also I think it's about the intentionality we can have about how we're communicating at the front of the room. And I find it really, really difficult when I'm observing 
teachers, when they're trying to explain something, but it's combined with movement. So they might be talking while they're walking around the room, while they're doing various different things, things like correcting behaviours, things like handing out things. It's really difficult to tune into what that person is trying to explain and what that person is trying to say. And I think really powerful explanations come with a stillness. With standing still at the front of the room, making sure eyes are totally focused in on you and communicating that sense of calm, authority and knowledge that will help people to follow, young people to follow what it is you are saying. So stillness and physicality can really help. And again, the intentional hand gestures is also a really good way to support support what you are trying to explain. So for me, as an English teacher, if I'm explaining a concept, I might use my hand gestures to, to kind of add to the meaning. So I might use a kind of a circle if I'm trying to explain something that's more circular. I might use a, a hand gesture to emphasise a particular word that I really want young people to remember and hold on to. So really drawing their attention through the way we use our body language and the way we communicate through that scope. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, the physicality of a really, really effective explanation. And next week, we'll look a little bit at cognitive load theory as well and how we need to be careful if we want that attention and that focus in on us when we're delivering an explanation. We're not supporting that with loads of images and loads of text and loads of distraction on a PowerPoint. And I totally appreciate that requires a little bit of confidence in terms of delivering that explanation. And for me, where does that confidence come from? The confidence comes from the second thing I want to talk about, which is about knowing your content. It's really, really hard to explain anything with any kind of clarity to anybody unless we are confident in the material. And that's where that investment comes from before the lesson. And yes, we all have a capacity to pretend, to act. You know, this idea of politicians winging it. That's a skill they have very, very well honed. But trying to explain something we aren't completely clear on, what happens is we flounder, we struggle to find the words and we trail off. And really in the classroom, that is a recipe for disaster. And Albert Einstein's got a great maxim on explanations, which is, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I totally understand and, and, and get that. You know, for listeners, lots of listeners to this podcast are in the first few years of their career, and it's really, really difficult because our, our subject areas, what we're teaching in primary school, there's, there's areas that are immensely vast and immensely concept immensely complex, sorry, rather. And in those early days, that does add to the workload challenge because we need to know the stuff before we can stand up and before we can explain it. So how do you go about doing that? There's things you can do, like a subject knowledge audit, making sure you're really clear in the areas of your subject you need to invest a little bit more time in to hone and develop. There's that time that you spend, instead of designing a beautiful PowerPoint, 
that he's actually just making really, really sure you've got the content before you stand up in front of young people. And for me, I remember teaching Macbeth for the first time. Um, as an, it was an NQT there in England. And um, I really, really struggled with it. And I had to spend hours pouring over my copy of Macbeth, making sure I knew everything before I stood up in front of those young people. But that investment of time for the first time will pay dividends for the rest of your career because you've got it and you can use it. And that explanation will always be founded on quality subject knowledge. But that quality subject knowledge needs to also take in the third point I wanted to raise today, which is beware the curse of knowledge. Now, in their article, The Curse of Knowledge, the authors of fantastic books, Chip Heath and Dan Heath, outline exactly what it is. And they said, the problem is that once we know something, we find it hard to imagine not knowing it. Our knowledge has cursed us. We have difficulty sharing it with others because we can't readily recreate this state of mind. And again, Brown et al. in their brilliant, brilliant book, Make It Stick, capture this in a bit more detail. And they say, teachers often suffer, often suffer from this illusion of the curse of knowledge. The calculus instructor who finds calculus so easy that he or she can no longer place themselves in the shoes of the student who is just starting out and struggling with this subject. So, how do we challenge this curse of knowledge? This idea that the better you know something, you less, the less that you remember about hard, how hard it is to learn. The first is we avoid assumptions. And assumptions clearly in the classroom are one of the worst things we can do. We don't presume that young people will have this knowledge from another previous moment. Instead, what we do is we test their prior knowledge. And we can do that by asking them to fill out a brain dump, getting them to write down all the knowledge they have about the topic before we go into the explanation, doing some, some kind of low stakes quiz or some testing of each other. And once we've understood that prior knowledge, then we break down our explanations into chunks. We don't jump into lecture mode just because we're confident in the knowledge doesn't mean they will be. We present material in really small steps and we check at each stage of that explanation. We ask questions about what we've just explained to allow us to pick up misconceptions at every stage of the process. So it's not a monologue. A really quality explanation is an iterative and dialogical process. And we really, really have to use that empathy and that patience for young people to think about how that information might be processing for them as individuals in order to make sure that explanation will land with them and will help them understand. So I hope that first part of how to deliver a quality and a powerful explanation is helpful. Just to recap, I've talked about the physicality, I've talked about really knowing your content, and I've talked about making sure you're aware of the curse of knowledge 
in the sense of reflecting on what students might know or what they might not know in terms of your explanation. So as always, if that has been helpful, please do pass it on to others who you think might benefit. And one of the best ways you can help pass that on is just to leave a quick rating or review of the podcast. That would be massively appreciated by me. So thank you for that. And I hope you have a brilliant start to your week and I look forward to speaking with you again on Wednesday. Thank you so much.